0: Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on, my man. I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, no worries.
1: I'm sorry it's taken so long, but a little bit of life got in the way. Yeah,
0: we got there in the end. We got there in the end. So we were just kind of talking, talking before the podcast started, and you kind of mentioned obviously you've uh, you, you've had a bit a bit of an up and down time. You're you're on the up now. You're working super super hard with uh, the the businesses that you've created within Strongman, which I'm super super excited to talk to you about because. Everything that you do, I absolutely love. It's it's wicked. The, the the mentality, everything that you're about, is everything that I believe in as well. So I think we we ring true on a lot of different wavelengths. Um, but another thing we were talking about before we started is you actually have a super rich history in just sports in general. So can we just go over that again? So how old were you when you first started playing sports?
1: Uh, I'd have been probably five, six years old. Okay, um, just say you start off with. It would have been uh, it have been football to begin with, yeah. The normal sort of uh, being taken along to a a Sunday side, you know, can like under an under sixes uh, with your mum, uh, pissing down the rain on a Sunday, absolutely slathered in mud, um, getting balls into the ear um, when it's freezing cold. Then going home watching, and this this for some people probably won't even believe this, but going home, getting your Sunday roasting, having a bath, and then watching match of the day. On Sunday, on a black and white television, where you had to turn a knob to tune it in. <laughs> You're not that old, surely. Fucking am. Surely, I am 42, I am forty-two uh,
0: next week, dude. And looking and moving very well on it. Uh, I need a bit of WD-40 every once in a while, but we're all right. <laughs> a little, little bit of a general oil up. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. So, you, so you started uh, playing football from from quite a young age, and where did it kind of go from there? Because you, you kind of you took things to to quite a decent level within your sports career.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily sort of adapt it as a career. As such, it's more. Um, to be fair, probably rugby was something I was better at. Um, I managed to captain my school uh, for a number of years. Played as a, a tight head prop. Absolutely loved the sport. It was something where I was. I was told of how I could evolve because I just. I came in. Uh, from primary school into secondary school, and it's one of those things where you go in and it's just like, oh, you're surrounded by bigger boys. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I was a, I was a waif. I was a very very slim, skinny bloke uh, up until probably the age of fifteen, sixteen. But when I first walked into to rugby, I was a bit panicked by it. But I had a very very good rugby teacher, Mister Crow, um, who I still see uh, to this day because his son played cr- uh, cricket with me, um, and. I was just told that your doesn't matter about your size; it's your mentality. Um, also, the fact that I was very quick. So he just said, "You like your physics?" And I said, "Yeah, I do." He said, "Well, take your mass times your velocity." He said, "Doesn't matter how big they are." He said, "You can knock them down." Um, and that was it. So um, I sort of learnt and loved that encouragement within within rugby. Unfortunately, I was told very early on that I wasn't going to get much bigger, so that side of things would end. And you just felt dragged along because all the all the cool kids as such would play football so you wanted to be part of that um, I would probably say that I was very lucky to play for some good teams um, I probably wasn't the most naturally talented uh, but I would probably put myself into the bracket of especially towards the tail end of a thing I'd probably be one of the grittiest uh, and one of the hardest workers in the room.
0: yeah yeah and I think that mentality rings true with with so so much in sports. You know, if you are the person that is willing to go the extra mile, if you're the person that is willing to fight and fight and fight, you don't always have to have the most natural talent because on the day, you're the one that's going to be pulling it out of the bag because you've, you've grafted your ass off all summer, all winter, to make sure that you're in this position.
1: I learned a valuable lesson from a time in Australia. I was very lucky to play um, uh, football at the time for a team called Leaning Strikers. Uh, there was a... A sort of a reserve side as such, and then there was a very good side. And the good side at that particular time could have players in that would end up playing for people like Perth Glory, which is now the A-League. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the manager that we had at the time, I we got on, but I so badly, because I came from the reserves playing a set position, um, I so badly wanted to continue in that and just remember getting... Uh, getting the call up and being moved to right midfield, and just had a strop, of which I've seen on young lads as well, and just toys at the pram. I played like a prick, yeah, really did. I didn't put any effort in. I just let people glide past me, um, and his response was brilliant, and it is obviously it's clearly stuck with me to this day because how he handled me was was exactly what I needed, because I was expecting right, okay, you're just going to get dragged off now. He didn't. He just addressed everyone in the changing room and just said, That's how he wants to play you, how he's to play. We're not going to take him off. You carry on. He said, it's, he said Just look around, look around the changing room, look at the man next to you. He said, If you can cope with that, he said that you're letting them down. Not me. He said, I don't give a fuck. He said, But if you can cope with the fact you're letting the man next to you down, he said, That's on you. Um, and I had a fucking blinder the second half. Literally dragged the game back. Probably played one of the best games I think I've ever played, um, and learned that sometimes you got to do things that you maybe not uncom- you're uncomfortable with to begin with, but it's because someone sees the best in you. Um, and that whole thing of playing for the man next year has never left me. It's something that you know I was able to take into when I started skippering myself, um, and felt very privileged to have gone through that lesson. It yeah. was. It was short, sweet, but left a, a, a very, very vivid mark on me.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, as someone that's you know come from a, a, a very rugby-rich background, the whole mentality of you know, it's not just you. You're playing for the person to the left of you. You're playing to the yeah. person to the right of you. If you don't make that tackle, yeah. then that means that you you've now made someone else's life more difficult. Yeah, as, exactly. As, as being part of a team. You work cohesively to make everything easier. You don't yeah. make anything harder for anyone else. I love that. So that's really interesting. So that was that was a big thing for me transitioning across. I've always been in team sports. I had a short stint in athletics where I did quite well, and then moving across to strength sports. How did you find that transition? Because for me, it was quite a rocky start going going from somewhere where you know you you're. you're around your mates all the time for me i don't have loads of friends that are in strength sports so it's not like i'm in a gym with tons of other people that are training the same as me so how did you find that because it's quite a strange transition
1: yeah the for me the the transition into the gym was was out of necessity um cricket for me came to an end i ended up playing cricket in my 30s uh and i got to about 37 38 uh, and you're not quick anymore you can't bowl like you bowl because you just your joints are failing and everything's starting to give up a little bit and, and even if you're trying to bowl in the 70s that's really difficult when your frame's breaking down you know your elasticity is gone your shoulders are fucked um, and it just came to an end and I finished on a bit of a high back to back winning a, you know this particular cup and um, one minute you stood there with sort of like your peers being presented a trophy. And the next minute, there's no pre-season. For the first time in over two decades, there's no pre-season. There's nothing then to look forward to. And only a couple of months had passed from that, you know, the end of season presentations through to that particular point. Um, and I just lost sort of sight and of who I was. I lost a bit of my identity. Yeah. Um, and I had a bit of a bit of a life wobble because of it. So I didn't leave the house for for 32 days um it started off with tiny little um tiny little things really which made at the time a lot of sense which would be you've got work because i work from home um but you really want that coffee there's no milk at the moment so why don't you just quickly leave go and get the and then something in your head would curtail that and just say look the work is needs to be done you don't mind a black coffee get the work done, get the milk once you're done. And it sounds totally plausible, but what would happen is at the end of the day, I'd never get the milk because it would be a case of the brain would start saying to you, you don't need to go out, you finish work, you don't need the coffee now, just get it in the morning. Well, that morning or that evening never came. Yeah. And the the messages about leaving would just become more and more compounded just to keep you indoors. And I just lost all self-esteem, I lost all confidence. I went from skipper. Like you know, Mister Fucking Invincible to my teammates, through to a mess in no time at all, and mm-hmm. it was that really when I had a chat with my wife at the time and said, um, I, I just have no identity. I don't, I don't have anything to sort of be here for. Yeah. Uh, it just felt like I was completely gutted, absolutely stripped down to core components. And she said, well. Didn't you used to train a lot, and didn't you used to do this when you were sort of a teenager? Um, why can't you find competition in that? So even though she's my ex-wife, I owe her a hell of a, a lot for that sort of point. Uh, and that's when a true friend came to the rescue because I'd seen that my friend Chris, Chris Charles, had started doing um, amateur bodybuilding. So he's doing physique class. Okay. Yeah. Um, phoned him up, just said, look, I'm in a really bad way. You go to the gym. Would you mind grabbing me, you know, taking me one night? I just need a bit of an out and explained the situation. 30 minutes, mate, he's at my doorstep. Walks in, put this on, and you go in. And my fears and anxiety, I've not left the house in over a month. My fears anxieties were through the roof. i would never experienced any of this. I've never experienced fear like this. Uh, And there I am, stood in the corner of this place, Ironworks Gym in Dickert, in Oxfordshire, fucking pinching my thumb just to feel something. Um, and that was the start of it. You know, I faced my fears and I went through probably the... In that evening, I went through two things which set me up massively. And that was being able to get out of the house and get there. And it wasn't some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy about fucking doom and gloom and how bad it was going to be and all these irrational fears coming in but halfway well not even halfway through it's towards the tail end because i was weak as piss you know because i'd literally done nothing for such a you know even though it was a couple of months i was already into the probably muscle wasted sort of stage um and it makes people laugh when i genuinely say i couldn't bench 37 and a half kilos three times i was that piss weak when i went in there i was such a mess But we finished on this little arm routine that he he gave, and it was just because he had to obviously, you know, his hypertrophy training, and he's trying to build, um, you know, pump and and pressure in the muscle. And it's 50 reps, four times round, and he just gave me these little two and a half kilo dumbbells, and I I've got no pride issues, so it's not a problem. I don't give a fuck. You know, you tell me what to do. I don't care what the color of them. I don't care what the weight is. Tell me what to do, and I'll just crack on. But it was 50 reps. And by the time we were three sets in, I just, I couldn't feel my forearms, let alone my hands. <laughs> it was just fucking agony. Yeah. And I, I'm not a, not easily sort of put off by stuff like this. I'll, I'll grit and graft my way through. Um, and he just said, there's one rule with it, you just don't put them down. So I just had to try and readjust them because it was falling out of my hand and I couldn't shut my hand. It was just fucking swollen. Uh, it's like go-kart in hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just went to readjust it. He said, and he got in my face immediately and just said, you put them down. He said, you are fucking done. I'm not going to give up my time if that's what you're going to do. If you're going to fucking quit at the first hurdle, it's pointless. Um, and yeah, I was being very honest with myself, but I managed to get through it. And I'm sat in the car half an hour later, just unable to drive, just unable to lift my fucking hands onto a steering wheel. And I was being really truthful myself in that I'd gone through the pain element, I'd gone through that a number of times, and I was I was being honest, I couldn't hold these things. Yet I fucking finished it. I did it. So who was lying to who? Mm. That was the first time I questioned what my brain would tell me every once in a while. And I'd been pretty fierce competitor over the years and managed to eke out the best out of this body. And certainly the best out of my brain, but that was the first indication that you know what, maybe there's a little bit more to give. And that was it. Day one was fucking perfect. It set me up because it was from that that every single training session was a challenge to see what I could find.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite remarkable that the the more you speak to people that uh, not just have. Uh, careers that are based around training but people that just really really love training is that you find that there is this really interesting mental emotional connection that people have with the gym and and i've always said it it's half of it is about the training and half of it's therapy it's and it's the way that you process things it's being in that that uh stressful environment it's putting your body through hardship you're breaking yourself down you're building yourself up you're stronger you feel more confident and every single time you come out of there you feel like you've gone through something can come out the other side and I'm sure there is something psychologically absolutely incredible because I feel like it just shapes you differently as a person when you there's when a you lot have of life lessons.
1: there's a lot of life lessons to be learned in the gym but importantly as well the gym is the gym and training is fair because a kilo is a kilo and a pound is a pound. And you want to make the next step, you can fucking earn it. Yeah. But there are no ways to short shift it. Yeah. You train for every single bit of it. And where else in life can you find something that's that certain? Yeah. If you tick these boxes along the way, which is obviously an like expression you'll always hear from me. Uh, and also why I also look to the left when I deadlift. Is if you look at lockout, you'll see that my head automatically goes over there. Because when I first started doing it, I was physically mentally ticking a box in my head and putting it over there. So every time every time that I would come in with a fear or an anxiety or you know a situation where I felt pressured about something, I'd have this fucking mountain of boxes that proved to me, do you know what, you said that about the previous thing, you couldn't do it, and yet look, look at all you've got. So there's lots to be learned from it. But um, in terms of the strength training, though, that didn't happen for another two years. I just trained i just lost i lost fat um very very quickly i managed to you know get myself back into very good condition you know quite swiftly Uh i think as i said it's easier to retrace your steps than it is to forge a new path yeah but i was always i always had an eye on the bigger lads okay because you know you are in there and it's you you, say you're bench pressing i couldn't do fuck all to begin with i couldn't squat i couldn't deadlift um and you're seeing guys like there's a guy called gino um you know he's bench pressing 140 kilos and this is the measure of the place as well but at the time it's like you know it's all i'd ever known yeah because it was the first place i'd ever been into that wasn't sort of like um a commercial gym as such yeah um, and it seems laughable now that you sort of see someone benching 140 kilos and say, oh, I think that'd be, you know, one day, one day. Um, and then. Don't you t- rep out
0: 140 kilos on bench now?
1: 12, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah.
0: dude, I've seen you rep out 140 kilos like it's nothing. So,
1: yeah. Um, but that was it. It was, it was always a case of I'd be the, the, the dusty old fuck that would sort of say that I'll, I'll, I'll get that. I'll take that off soon. Because, well, you've not even done 100 yet, and then within a, you know, a couple of months there's 100, and then you sort of say, right, okay, that'll be for five soon, and then it'll five, and then it'll be a 10, and then I'll do 140. You just, the way that I've always looked at it is if you keep aiming for something that feels unreachable um, and try and learn as best you can through your mistakes, then even if you fall a little short, you're still far more advanced than you'd be if you were trying to be fucking sensible about it. Um, and yeah he just within a short space of time just managed to sort of get the numbers up and I just didn't want to be a strong boy in a gym and I said to my friend because he was competing um, you know he was on stage and I said I, I need my thing yeah. um, and he said well what do you want to do and we had one lad that had done sort of like a local strongman competition um, who uh, knew Craig Molyneux right okay Yeah. in touch with Craig and at the time um, I got very fucking short shrift from him, which uh, I think I must have just caught him on a bad day because he fucking talks as much as I do. <laughs> yep, yep. Which, which I, all, I will always remember, but at the same time as well, I am grateful because he pointed me in the direction of a place to, to have a competition. And um, yeah, that was it. That was the start of it. And the best thing, it seems crazy to fucking say it, but the, the best thing that happened to me is that um, I tore my bicep out in the first event. I was gonna say I, I was looking back through through your
0: Instagram and you that was a nasty bicep tear wasn't it? I mean it looked messy
1: as hell. The, the tear itself was because nerves. I didn't warm up. Went straight into an axle deadlift, uh, 250 kilos. I think it was a fucking opener and um, pulled it, but something just fucking went wrong. Uh, and I didn't know. I've never experienced anything like. that. I've been very lucky through the years. Never had hamstring tears or anything like that. I've had strains but no tears. Um, but we had Bill Pittick as a ref and he just saw it immediately he just came over and just went does it feel does it feel warm or is it painful and I said it feels warm and he just went ah fuck you've know, torn your bicep um, he said what are you going to do um, <laughs> it's fucking seem mental now but same thing I've always done I just said to him do us a favour just pull the fucking sleeve over it and tape it he said you sure I said yeah and I just carried on uh, what made it worse, unfortunately, though, is I, by the time I got through, I think I was joined first after two events. Still, I uh, slipped to second after three events. a slipped to third after four events because uh, I was just, you know, trying to fucking get a log up with one arm it was difficult. Oh my god! Um, and by the time we got through to the fourth event, it was tire flip, and I managed to get it about, I think three. No, it was it was four times you had to do it. I got it over for the fourth went to do the fifth, and unfortunately it rolled off. Oh, I couldn't help it, so I, put, I extended my arm, and that's when it literally just tore, Um, and I had no use of my arm then. Um, but why I said that I felt I was fortunate about that is that I think if I'd have come first or second, not, I've only just seen this little arena, and, and now it's obvious to me what it was, yeah. but at the time looking in, it was like, oh, fucking hell, this is amazing. Um, the realism is it wasn't a very big competition at all. It was literally the starting blocks. But at the time, it felt like fucking Everest. Yeah. Um, but if I'd have come first or second, I think my brain would have just went, yeah, tick that box, done. A strong man done. Because you, yeah. cause you never associate that level with world's strongest man. I think no one's fucking stupid enough to do that. But for what it is, it almost as a recreational sport, yeah. you kind of think, well, yeah, okay, I've fucking done it. But standing there... Watching three other people lift trophies, when I'm thinking to myself, I'm fucking stronger than you. It burnt, it burnt, and it just unlocked what I yeah. It just unlocked the next level of want, That's and there crazy. was a there was a whole new level of. Do you know what? Fuck you. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna really put in now. Yeah, yeah. So
0: with with this competition, <clears throat> so for people that, that don't kind of really know grassroots strongman, you, you would traditionally go through the avenues of entering a, a novice or a beginner's competition, then through to an intermediate and open. And then with your open, you have qualifying events for the open elite categories, which you can then get your invitations to, to the big kind of stage shows that you'll see uh, live stream now. So going into it, what category... Did you go into? Was did you go jump straight into
1: opens intermediates? Where were no, you? Just I went into. Um, it was open weight, but it was novice. Okay, so there was weight classes for the day. Uh huh. Um, but the novice was just open weight. Um, okay. So I remember stood there and two of the lads are some of my friends to this day. Uh, a guy called Steve Mount. Um, Steve's similar age, but I think he's six. Six, six, six seven. Mm-hmm. Just a fucking giant. And you're stood there and go, oh fucking hell's teeth. This is terrifying, you know. But Steve turned out to be an absolute fucking pussycat and he's a great guy. Um and then Stephen Freya, a rugby lad, um, who's still to this day and now Steve sort of uh runs Kettering Strongman uh and they've become really sort of good mates. But yeah, it's just it was just sort of an entry level thing. The weights were okay, um, but it was where I came from, which I call a sort of tits and T-shirt gym, um, I'd never touched strongman kit. And pretty much for that first year, uh, I racked up 10 competitions in that year. I just got the bug. Wow. I just tried to search out loads of competitions that I'd never touched kit in. Obviously, you're going you're gonna to have a bit of a crossover. There's always going to be like a log, always going to be farmers and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you'd find some uh when I went to um titanium strength gym for Sheffield's strongest man, uh had a, sp- a particular sort of well it had a an overhead medley, um it had um a good weight atlas stone, which I'd never done, never done a run of Atlas Stones before. Um and it had a uh, a push and load. You know, seven and a half ton and then you just fucking lump massive lumps of fucking wood in the back. Uh, and it's just, it was just all good. You know, it's, you're sort of meeting people like Paul Smith along the way and you was know, Phil Roberts' gym, uh, Ian, who ran the competition I recently bumped into again at uh, Britain's Strongest Masters. And it's brilliant to see him, you know, that ca- sort of camaraderie that comes with it. But I think I think what I always wanted is after that first experience of speaking to someone like Bill Pitick, who's a bit of a fucking ledge yeah, by his sure. own right, You know, an old war horse, bit of a warrior, really, for what um, and how he trains. I didn't want their time that they gave me because they were really kind to check on me after after injury uh, and make sure I was all right. I didn't want that time and effort that they put into me to be for fuck all. Um, So I found it is a a bit of a responsibility to make sure that if I was going to take time and advice off people, I put it into good practice. And I wanted that first year to be, you know, kind of um, a good reflection of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you smashed it. So, <clears throat> so did you get uh Were you able to get a full
1: reattachment on the bicep? Did you? Did you uh, go for, for surgery? No, I've got a gap. Okay. Okay. I've had pre- what I've had a basically a previous injury where I severed everything to the bone, so there was a previous surgery there, um, and not much in the way, which is why that arm never really straightens. Okay. Because I didn't warm up. Purely, it's bent. The axle's pretty forgiving. So all that surgery that I had 10 years earlier was just torn clean off the bone.
0: Wow, jeez. So what was your road to, to recovery like? So I, it man, it's, it's crazy. That when you talk about these things, there are so many... Very, very similar parallels that I've had throughout absolutely everything with the, with your sporting career, with the injuries that you've had. When I first kind of started really getting into training, I've torn my, my pec, um, torn it straight through the belly of the muscle. It took them a year and a half to try and figure out what the actual issue was. Uh, and because it's through the belly of the muscle, I just, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just, I basically don't have half a pec on my
1: right side anymore. It's kind of like, well, just suck it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. oh- because of the uh, because of some of the sports I've played there's always been good physios around and stuff like that and one of the things I did I just sought out a, a very very good physio straight away um, and a guy called John Williamson based in Bister, did also did Graston work uh, which is if you're a bigger lad um, Graston is uh, you know, it's a you know it's a good form of deep tissue yeah. without having to get a hand in there and just demolishing everything in the way it's a bit more specific it looks brutal because they use metal tools um but i found him as one of the only people locally that did it and i came into his uh his place and said look i've fucking wrecked my arm um and he just asked me he said you're going to be serious about this aren't you i went yeah he said because i can kind of tell you know this isn't just you're not here to fuck about yeah he said i'm gonna have a word with the boss which is his wife he said I might sponsor you. Um, I oh, really, he said, yeah, he said, cause otherwise he said, I think you're going to put your mortgage into my house. Uh, if, you know, you're a, if you're a mortgage, <laughs> my house. he said, cause I've got a fee. he said, I'm going to be seeing you a lot. Yeah. Um, and John has been with me ever since. Um, but right. I, yeah, John, John got me patched up and repaired. Um, I did everything by the book, went through some pretty painful, uh, rehabilitation to speed things up. I used, you know, stimulation of muscle fibers and stuff to aid that process uh, and speed it up. Um, And then I was ready a few months later and competed at Body Power with a strap to fuck arm. That's mad. And how did you place that competition? um, I think I came about 14th. It was 71, I think. Wow. That's a a
0: big-ass competition.
1: Yeah, it was a very, very good year. It was a really good year. It's a shame because Body Power since then really has been on the decline. Um, uh, But in terms of that comp that really gave me a feeling of place mm-hmm. and also the appreciation because you're you're stood in there you know that's only my second ever competition and you've got people like Terry Ollins milling around you know on the broom at the time and it's like, oh fucking hell it's Terry Ollins you really want to chat to him yet yet you don't realize at the time he's very he's very insular until he sort of knows you he does like keeps himself and he probably wanted the ground to fucking swallow me up just so he's not got to stand and get another fucking photo with anyone. Um And he, as he, by his own admission as well, he does have resting bitch face as he calls it. Um, <laughs> but Terry is, it's weird as well. Cause you say, you look a few years on, Terry has been one of the nicest people uh to me, both for business and personal. You know, when I said I was going through a divorce, he's been someone that's checked in on me and, and been a really, really nice person to you know to to have on the uh, the friend list uh, within the sport, um, but you're in this sort of ball pit with all these fucking people, and I remember sort of Marius Polinski being in there as well as one of the Opens. This fucking a-frame neck mutant, and you're just shitting yourself. Yet it, it was it was the car deadlift it just changed everything. You know, there's a bit of nerves. I absolutely blitzed the farmers. I think I was in the top three on the farmers, Um, but the car deadlift, and I would just watch the video back, and it just lets you know what's inherent in your nature. Um, And there's a guy next to me. They call seven seconds, and I'm fucking dying. Um, The guy next to me in that period of time, that seven seconds, you see him walk off camera. I couldn't. I just had to pull. I didn't think about it. I didn't know, really know what I was doing. I was being sick in my mouth as I was pulling. Um, but I pulled another rep. And that was the one thing I started to learn is that I never went missing in competition. I didn't as a player, and I'm not doing now as well. I was able to find just something else, just a little extra. Um, but regardless of how shit that felt, I, I got a real buzz from it. Yeah. Because, again, it's that little thing in your head of, what can I really do? I've not trained half of these fucking events. I've never picked up a 300 kilo yoke before. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I've never done it in Nike hairs before, which for that entire, which, yeah, to be fair for that entire year, actually almost two years, the red Nike hairs, which I actually have three pairs of the same ones, became a bit of a feature because it was, especially for things like farmer's walk, it was, you know, it was just silly little fucking bullshit things you'd tell yourself as well. Um, You know, just, I needed them. I was going to fucking run. I'm not walking it. I'm fucking running it. So I need them. Um, but I had a recent conversation at Worlds with um, Derek Poundstone, and he said exactly the same. And I felt really validated. <laughs> he just yeah, fucking legend. Um, because he just said lots of people would switch footwear and stuff. Like that. He said, I just wore sneakers. He said, I wear Nike Airs or whatever. He said, Gloria's going to fucking move. He said, "So I, I wasn't worried about the wobble." He said, "I was going in a straight line." He said, the "Fuck, do I care?" And I, thought, I "I was just really, I really would have loved to have said, look, 'Look, I've worn these fucking sneakers for like life because of.'" Uh, <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So he's got something in common. Apart from you're fucking brilliant, I'm shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that was that. That was it. That that competition was. That was the that solidified everything. And then yeah. I just I just kept going through Facebook finding competitions you know I'd, I'd travel up the night before i'd stay in a hotel i'd eat like fuck you know and then just probably shit my lungs out through fear and panic of the morning unable to eat as everyone does yeah um and then within the first event everyone's like yeah yeah everyone's chatting and everyone's excited um and so fucking glad i did it because as i say i would bump into all these people we made britain's Novice final of where I met Gavin Bilton for the first time. Um, so you just, this, was this was
0: this Brit, uh, Britain's Strongest Novice?
1: Yeah, yeah, first yeah,
0: yeah. year. Yeah, dude, I did the exact same thing. It's uh, yeah. it, this is yeah, it's crazy. It's like everything you're saying. It's like copy for copy. Everything
1: I've done so far. And that's, it's mad. That's nice as well because you use the sort of position of being able to articulate to the next lot that come through. This is what's going to probably happen. Um, you know, drop the fucking you know, alpha chest beating shit because everyone's everyone's nervous, mate. It's fine. You're perfectly fine. Everyone's shitting themselves. Yeah. We don't know what's happening. So just go in, enjoy yourself. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna get that first event out of the way. Everyone just relaxes. Everyone's over the moon. Some fuckers taking a video of it. And you're gonna walk out with friends that you'll have for life. Yeah. 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 So appreciate the moment, love the competition, give everything yeah, It's yeah, it's beautiful.
0: It's uh, it's really strange because coming across into what is invariably a solo sport, you know, you're stepping up up, up onto that podium, and it's just you up there. And you know, yeah. at the end of the day, if you don't pull that weight, that that's not on anyone else. No. That's on your ass, and every single set of eyes is watching you. And there's something, there's something so humbling about you know facing that adversity, pushing yourself through that. Kind of stepping up. I mean, when I first started, I, I remember I had it in my head. It was it was my second competition ever. it was at the Isle of Wight, um, novice competition, and I hadn't done a deadlifting competition to that point, and my deadlift sucked, and it was a 200 kilo deadlift for reps. And I remember I was I was thankfully I was the either the last or second to last person to go. And everyone's standing on the sidelines chatting, like, oh, so how much do you pull? What's your deadlift? What do you expect to get rep-wise? And I was like, look, 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 guys. Don't expect anything out of me from this deadlift, you know. I, I've, I'll maybe get six repetitions, absolute max. Step up, whistle blows, I pull it up. <laughs> I like, and even to this, this day, I remember, there's just a look of surprise on my face as I stood up. And I was like, fucking hell, that doesn't feel like 200 kilos. And dude, I repped out like... 13 repetitions in 60 seconds, like smash my PB. I looked across back to the sideline and everyone was like, what the hell? And I was like, I have no idea where that came from. That was incredible. And it was just from that point, I was like, I, I can't, there's no way I can put these limitations on myself because it's obviously bullshit. If I thought that, that was the case and I'm actually doing twice as much as I possibly can, it's exactly like you said, the limitations that you set for yourself, it's it's all in your head and you can flip that 100%. And if you can get into that mindset, Man, you can achieve some mad things. There's so
1: many little things as well that you learn from it. You know, like I'd always study patterns of things, and you know, I trained in a um, we call it the tripod originally because it's just the, th- the three of us: Jake Smith, Chris Charles, all training for slightly different things. But I'd always noticed that um, if we're doing tens, Jake would always, no matter what the weight was, by about rep eight or nine, he starts to slow, and you'd ask him the question: you "Just sort of, what the fuck is going on? Why can't you can't just push a bit harder? Yeah, but it's getting heavy." Well, it's not, is it? You know, the first rep, what did it weigh? You know, it's like 75 kilos. So it's not, is that heavy? No, it's not heavy. We've, have we put weight on it? No. Well, it's not any fucking heavier, is it? It's, so it's not heavier, but you just sort of say, well, okay, if that's the case, then you count in fucking 10, your brain is automatically dragging that fucking finish line closer. But the moment you count in those numbers, it's fucking pushing it further away. So counting two lots of five, i that or counting threes. And then when you get to fucking nine, think you've got another three in front of you and you've only got to do one and you're done. Yeah. And all of a sudden that performance level starts to go up. Yeah. It's lots of little things that you do to sort of curtail your own mental foibles just to, to get across the line. But now those those comps, those, those early ones, they're fucking brilliant. They really are. I've heard lots of things said about like the novice finals and stuff like that, but it was Inter's weight. It's a precursor to those that want to step up. I think it encourages people to step up as I did. Um, I was able then to go into master's as well for the following year because I turned forty in my first year. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, so went into master's comps as well, and just well, we're kind of here you know sort of, uh, yeah, I was only able to do London's and, and body power this year, um, missed out on a little bit because of like personal reasons and relocation. Um, but it's been a bit painful because you sort of sat there, you're watching people like Britain's Masters at the weekend that's just gone. And you know, you're encouraged to take part in it, but common sense dictates that after three weeks of training you ain't gonna be fucking conditioned enough for it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it's now that want level is back. Yeah, you know, it's gone fucking skyrocketing because I'm headed out to uh Daytona, so I'm back to Florida again, but going out for uh, official Strongman Games, but I'm I'm going out as support for friends, yeah. And I'm and I'm not competing, and I, that's where I want to be. I'm not bothered that I'll be. Realistically, even if I was at my best this year, I was good enough, I think, to qualify um, for the online qualifier. When I look at the rankings on there, and I know what I'm capable of doing, especially when I look at my strength levels right now, uh-huh. you know. Um, I know that I would probably been able to qualify and I know that I would have probably been 19th or 20th. But you made the grid. I don't give a fuck that you've got Terry Holland there, Nick Best there, those boys, to stand and say, do you know what, I made the top 20 and I fought like fuck on the day because knowing that that really is a case of you're never, ever happy. On the day, I'll be fucking livid. I'll be furious that I came last. But the realism being is I'd have learnt enough just to say, right, okay, what do I need to do for next year to be better? That's a fucking great position to be in when I'm closing in on 42 next week. You know, And you look at those guys, you look at the Mark Felixes, the Nick Best, the Terry Hollands, you're never going to be near them. And there's a reason for that because they have decades behind them. You know, you're new to the sport. I'm not some fucking strength phenomenon. The realism is that I'm probably in the big scheme of things not very strong in this realm. You know, it's the average man on the fucking street when you're throwing up you a know, bit of tonnage. Yeah, it looks impressive. But in this realm, these guys are conditioned for fucking so much more. They're throwing up overhead what I can bench. Oh yeah. um, But by right to earn the right to compete next to them and also knowing how they would be if you did make it, they'd be as fucking happy for me as I would be just being there. And that's one of the nicest things about the sport. You've only got to look at, you know, the, the training partner I've had for the last 18 months before moving, you know, he's been arguably the fucking making of it uh, in Lawrence. You know, what can you do? You turn up, you train like a fucking animal only to be told you, why are you training so fucking hard? You're going to kill yourself. But he brought a lot more out of me. He, he made me comfortable. So that, that, situation that I was in at one particular point where I lost my confidence training with Lawrence who fitted quite you know quite comfortably into fucking hero status at one point because we've seen all the photos as we joke about for fucking three years, stood in line, hello yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to fucking out angle and look a bit mean and moody. Um, and then all of a sudden he's my mate. Yeah. And he is my mate. He's someone that has been yeah it's been like a, even though he's younger than me he's been like a big brother
0: yeah and um, it's 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 crazy how much that reigns true with like with all strong uh, it's it's a strange stereotype that it's just the biggest ugliest motherfuckers on the face of the planet but they just have the biggest heart to go along with it and it's it's quite remarkable you know you've found that a little bit at times with rugby but i feel like there was definitely a lot more ego Compared yeah. to compared to strength sports, I'm not quite sure what it is. I don't know if it's a case of that you, you're kind of you're forced to eat shit on a regular basis, and that kind of that
1: turns you into a different If you're different it, that's the, that's the beauty. When I look through that list, and you go through your phone book, and you still have to pinch yourself a little bit because they're names that you see on TV, they're names that you sort of stood there on the sidelines, you and you paid to fucking watch them. Yet you go through that list, you know, people that, Christ, there's people like Ryan England, he falls in that category. If you had three people to phone because there's a body in your front room, the bloke's in the car. I don't even have to question it. Uh. It's that good a friend. He's, you know, he would be in the car, I don't know, absolutely without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but you look at the help that you've had along the way, you know, took likes of Bill Pittock, the what I call the people that are like the fabric yeah. of strongman. Rob Frampton falls into that. You know, I turned up, um, at, performed my first competition, and the same thing. You get solid advice, but you get it from someone that's not gonna, is not gonna speak from a position of ascension, which he's entitled to do. But it's more of a case he speaks from a position of passion because he gives a fuck. He's dedicated his entire life to it. He sacrificed everything for it so you end up talking to someone that in a year or two when you sort of get to the point of understanding just a little bit more and you've been around a little bit more because i think that's the way that you can make a really solid friendship within a space of a couple of years is the majority don't last that long you know i could have competed with 70 80 people in that first year there'll probably be four of us that have continued um, so by the time you're in five or six years deep, yeah, then you, I suppose, you're your furniture. You know, in that sense, you made, it, and you go through to the lifting element to it. You can't always base it on numbers. Strongman is a very strange sport where it is appreciated, respected on effort. You know, you know yourself. If you turn up to a competition, and there's some fucking mutant in the novice classes, and he just reps it out he's going to get a golf cap and told to fuck off. But if you've got a young Dave in there that's try, you know eight fucking stone wet through and he's busting his bollocks to pull 200 kilos off the ground for the first time and he does it half shitting himself in, in yeah. public, that bloke's going to get a rapturous round of applause because it's about the effort of those early stages. Yeah. And it's the same thing that leads to this point now. You know, I can train next to Ben Brunning. That bloke can fire at weight left, right and centre. If I, you know... Burst blood vessels to try and press, you know, strict press one, um, one forty overhead for a double. He is in my, sh- he's in my corner, yeah. like it's the most fucking important lift in the world because it is. It's the biggest thing at that particular time I'd ever done, and people appreciate it, you know. And it transverse across whether it be, you know, world's strongest man standards, world's strongest woman standards, because you look at that camaraderie that you have you know, the likes of your Andrea Thompsons, the likes of you, um, your Donna Moores, your Rihanna Lovelaces, um, you know, these types of people, you fucking cheer them on, and they cheer you on, and it goes across the sport, because you've earned that lift, and that's the bit. Everyone knows what you've had to do to get there. Yeah, there's no had- shortcuts. There's no bullshit. It's,
0: it's the only way that you make that lift is if you have put in the steps to get to that point if you've eaten the correct diet if you've trained enough if you've ensured that your body's in good enough condition that you can perform the lift and you give it your all on a day
1: you yeah. can't fake that you can't yeah. fake that not no. in front of people it doesn't it no, just doesn't it's happen not what you did you did the right thing your pbs your, your, your best performances should come in competition yeah that's, I, I that's... Mean, that's something that me and rob
0: talk about on a on a training basis is that we always say Train hard, perform easy. Yeah. yeah. Bust your ass off in training. So when you step up on that stage, you're not going, oh my God, this is the first time I've ever lifted a 140 kilo log. It's like, okay, yeah. well, I have conditioned my body over weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to ensure that that motherfucker is going up. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is it. There's no other question. It's going up and that's it. And when you have that mentality, it's like, well, what'd you expect? But yeah. I really, really, really want to get into. The the turnaround for you in terms of being introduced to strongman to running what I would regard as probably one of the most respected brands within strongman, holy crap, dude, dude, your journey with with caveman with team affinity with having literally some of the greatest strength athletes of all time having your brand represented
1: with them. How the hell do you do that, man? Um, as of the end of this month as well, I'd probably say the arguably the top 30 strongest people on the planet will all have that back. Got, um, I'm one of them, but I'm not on that list, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not on no, but that No, but that's the thing. That's the nice thing. It's that whole bit of you have got something which puts you all together, puts you under one roof there's no sponsorships and such it's just a case of that one thing was just design you know it was a necessity it was being in car parks and and rugby fields and just wanting some food and a bag that fucking lasted and um you know you put it together for the first year and you buy your own bag essentially but you've obviously paid for a lot to be made uh you make a dramatic loss and then someone else sees the the sort of benefit of it and it grows a little bit and then you're introduced to someone who might do a bit of Champions League and you know would they like a bag and um, and then it just grows uh, and then before you know it you're past a thousand bags and then you're past a thousand for a year halfway through the year then you've got um, two times world strongest woman Donna Moore using your bag. Um, then you know that you're at the Arnold's. Then you see Lawrence, who's a training partner, but he gets his own bag for 10 years at Worlds. And then he's at Worlds, so you've covered Worlds, Arnold's, Arnold's, um, Britain's, Europe's, uh, Champions League. And then you've got Zadrunas. You're able to do that, and that, that happens. And you meet people on the way, legends, that you never thought you'd get to meet because of their pathways and journeys, like your Travis Ortmeyers, And you, you can gift that to them because you know, you would have never have found the sport or been interested in the sport without those people, those ones that sort of inspired you and you're able to give that little bit back so it's not a bag, it's a message, it's an understanding that their actions led you to where you are now. And if they see anything about what you do, hopefully there's a modicum of pride in that because you helped fucking build it, you helped create all this. What you've got is you got something back. Um, And then you get to the point of where you stood there at Worlds chatting to the new World's Strongest Man saying, Martins, would you like a kit bag? Can I make something special that's personal to you? And I'm going to put a little orange in the bottom section of that bag, and every time you fucking win this tournament, I'll put another orange there. You know. And it goes out to him and he he got it yesterday. Um, And yeah, it's along with, what is it, it's World's Ultimate Strongman at the end of the month. Um, Every athlete that competes in that gets a bag, a special bag that is a WUS 19 bag, uh, with caveman livery. So every, that, and you think of those athletes, you know, That's mad. yeah, the Brian Shaws, the Hathor Bjonsons. I know he's not competing, but you know, and then you got like the, the up and coming generation of like the Novikovs who's, you know, but they're all happy. Although a lot of them have them already, but it's the fact that now you're going to get a bag which is it symbolizes the competition that you're in and next year's will be different you know knowing that Britain's this uh, Britain's in January every what would be 14 13 fourteen athletes the best of the country they'll all have their own individual Britain's caveman kit bag um,
0: but I love, the, it's, it's, it's the thing is it's it's not even a kit bag though is it I mean, like, I'm listening, I'm sat here listening to you talking, and I'm going, fuck, if you replace, you could replace that word kit bag with anything, because what you're talking about, it's not, it's not something materialistic, what, what you're giving there, it's like, it's a little piece of you, and it's just pure passion, mate, that's all I, whenever, whenever I hear you talk, that's, that's all it is, you're so, so goddamn passionate about these bags, I mean there's no way that it could not grow to what it's growing to. Cause you're just,
1: you're, you in end it. Goal. There is an end goal. There is something I want from all this. Um, and it's one of the things I stated at the start. Um, well, there's two, two parts to it. Every athlete that has been associated with affinity and affinity has been running for 10 years or so because I did cricket before. Yeah. Uh, so affinity was always named that way. So it'd always be attributed to whatever I cared or loved. So it can transverse. Um, but those athletes who are involved in the cricketing side of things, at Christmas time they give up something of their own, sign it, submit of value, auction it off, raise money. Mm-hmm. I did that for a number of years, and you've probably seen with the Affinity stuff, even with this, we do quite or have done quite a lot for Great Ormond Street. I think um, this year alone, uh, I think it is this year alone, we've probably done about four grand for Great Ormond Street. Uh, over the years, through various auctions of money, because all of it's donated directly as well. So all people have to do is they just, they just send me the, the slip of what they've donated. But I think it t- in terms of uh, catalyst um, done tens of thousands. Um, but it's because I've always seen that I've found myself in a position of where I'm stood next to people that I admire. Now, I would love that fucking t-shirt. I would love that you know that bit of kit. I have all the opportunity for that and I can get some experiences along the way so that's my thing that's my privilege you know what I'm able to do and where I'm able to go with some of the trinkets and bits and pieces what I can do is I can use that for something a little bit bigger than me so Great Ormond Street has been one and the reason why Great Ormond Street came around it's not that I've got children or anything like that it's just that Christmas always comes a time when people sort of say, you know, uh, charities and stuff, I haven't really got much money, but we buy fucking everything. We spend too much money on food. We spend too much money on shit that we don't need. We buy a fucking jumper to replace a jumper that we've not worn since fucking last year. And there's a lot of waste. So what I've always tried to do, especially with the people that follow affinity, those ones that you know that come under that bracket of team affinity, and that, that, that itself was something that came about through sort of charity because it, it was called team affinity because a West Indian lad called Neil Ramdas, we raised a, a couple of quid when he went through testicular cancer. And he just likened it to being a family because he, he basically had to give up a cricket bat, which was made for him, and give it back because he said, look, I need the money for treatment. So we gifted the cricket back to him. But because I said it to the outside world at the time, people donated money. So he came back and that's how the hashtag team affinity came about because he felt he was part of something. Um, But it always strikes me is that when these opportunities are here, when you can challenge people to say, look, you're going to go and spend money on yourself anyway. Why not buy something that you're never, ever going to be able to buy from anyone else? You buy something that's unique, something you love but it's going to go and do some good. So that's the bit that I've always wanted to do. And as, as the audience grows, not everyone's going to be able to do it because not everyone is that way minded, but we've got some really cracking people like Jerry Pritchett's a really nice guy to speak to. Um, Martins has been has been really good and Remark, the videographer guy that works with him all the time, have been brilliant. Stoltman's Lars, all these guys have been fucking amazing. But as this grows, the overall thing is I want to bring out a kit bag that I want to be able to sell for about 20 quid, basically cost. So that that kit bag is your school bag. So you turn 11, you go to school, and it is the thing that you want to own. And at 20 quid, it doesn't matter if your dad earns hundred grand or 10 grand, that kit bag design will never change but it's the one thing that your mum if she ain't got the money could buy one second on an ebay because maybe it's just got a bit threadbare but that kid can still own that bag yeah. so there's no I've got the latest there's no feeling of you can own that bag and you don't have to have a fucking penny
0: so and it doesn't what,
1: have to mean anything other than what it is it's attributed to the strongest people on earth I love that And if they can help drive that through their association by just, you know, Hathor doesn't have to pay for his back, that's fine. But if he understands what it leaves behind and helps me get there, brick by brick, then hopefully we do some fucking good. But that's what I wanted it to be. Because the affinity label is the all-encompassing, to do something for love. And as you said, I am passionate. I do give a shit. You know, this is my job. This is my dedication um and i want it to count yeah and and how does
0: how does one juggle what you do because you know i mean i myself am self-employed i work within the gym so it's quite quite easy but for for yourself for someone who is training hard you're competing at a decent level you're working really really hard as well how do you juggle all of those things at once um
1: you sacrifice i was married for nearly 10 years and i walked away I've got to see it through oh, yeah um, we're on different paths uh as hard as it's been i've got a job to do i've got one one opportunity to do it so i want to see it through to some it will be madness. To some people it's, you know, you've made a rod for your own back. Um, but for me, I've kind of always sort of seen it, I've seen the, the benefits in the details, the day-to-day, you know, standing in a new place, 150 miles away from anything I've ever known, you know, feeling isolated for two, three weeks, but you're standing with a young lad in a gym, able to give them a piece of information, which hopefully betters their day. Um, and it's the catalyst has become this the whole thing but the real sort of world impact is very very different it's the fact that we're talking about his job and we're talking about it's the training element which has got us to that particular point and i like the fact that the caveman caricature of my own self you know it's now sort of life imitating art when that first that first character came to pass and fuck me all of a sudden i started looking like him um <laughs> but i did it because it I wanted people to understand that you could have all these, you know, emotions and feelings and thoughts on bits and pieces, regardless of what you fucking look like. So you could be a big fucking thumper and but still talk openly about stuff and, and want the fucking best for things. So um but the sacrifice is real. And I suppose one thing I've never lacked, I've never lacked drive. And I will and have, you know, ultimately made, you know, sacrifices uh that, as I say, some people will probably think of fucking madness. But in my head, it's I've got an opportunity and I want to see it through. I can't die wondering. Um and when I look at the the interactions I've had with people, um, the you know, the people that you meet along the way and also look at the little impacts that you can have. You know, my Instagram personal messages and emails that come in are part and parcel of that drive because the moment I realised when I talked outwardly about some of the situations I've been in, yet you've got people that actually are receptive to it, sat there and just went, I needed to hear that. I was doing it for my own form of therapy to talk to a version of myself, which is six months past just to reaffirm that what I'm doing is the right thing. I'm on the right fucking path. But all of a sudden you've got people that are in desperate situations where I've been. And at that particular point, they listened and I take that really fucking seriously because I've been there and you know, if you have ever been in these sort of darker places, it fucking hurts when you hear, someone going through it because you don't want it for them. You don't need to have known them to have empathy for the situation. And that's why all this became so much more fucking serious and so much more compounded that I've got to fucking see at home. It's not that anyone's fucking reliant on me because at the end of the day, there's there's the next dude and something else that goes on. But if you've got the opportunity to try and do something and do it for the right fucking reasons, go hard. Don't fuck about, go hard. You know, because if you want something that's going to fucking help you sleep at night, all those shit situations that you've ever had to endure, there is no rhyme or reason for some of the stuff that I've had to fucking go through. But if that experience can make some other fucker feel not alone or happy to know that, you know what? There's a fucking out from it. I'll do it again. I go through the fucking same thing tenfold because I was strong enough to do it. And if it means someone else, you can carry them through. And the only thing that will ever be asked of them, pay it forward.
0: I I think it's something that, you know, we're very slowly coming around to it. It's something that I've spoken about and I chatted with um, Craig, Strongman Motivation, about this in, in depth about kind of talking about mental health, mental awareness. You know, I myself have suffered with you know bouts of depression and uh, I've, I've had a lot of issues at times that you know i haven't massively openly spoken about and not loads and loads of people know about things but it's definitely a case of we're, we're starting to really break down those barriers now and it's becoming a topic that isn't taboo we're being able to talk about mental health more openly and the more we talk about it the more doors we open the more we realise that this is actually so much bigger than we even realise to start off with because the more people come forward the more we understand that this is literally something that affects everyone.
1: Yeah. There is okay. no one that's off the table. If, if you get a if you if you get a dead leg, like a rugby dead leg, full hematoma, and it goes on the wrong fucking vein or wrong artery, you'll rush to hospital and they try and save your leg. So there's one fucking part of the spectrum. If you make punches in the fucking thigh, you get a mini hematoma. That's still a dead leg. You're going to get a little bruise. It's all on the same spectrum. From the person that is batshit crazy just because shit's happened through to the person that doesn't fucking feel very well in the morning and just doesn't want to face the day, that's still on that big scale. That's just mental health. That's just what it is. It's, you know, no one wants to... Sort of go along with the whole sort of scheme that it falls into the same sorts of things but if you wake up in the morning I say you just feel just a bit under the fucking weather that falls under mental health that's just what it is just fucking accept it but I'm happy to put myself out there but I have no ties I have no one that I can embarrass it doesn't bother me anymore I'm fucking bulletproof because of it I don't give a fuck I'm comfortable with my own skin I've been through the shit so there's fuck all else anyone can fucking throw at me now. But as I say, the the reward is that that poor fucker that sat there needs to hear that, because at the moment, to that one poor fucking soul, the world's ending. And you might
0: just be the voice that stops their world from ending. And you yep. and you, you you don't know, you don't know, you know, you don't know people's situations, you don't know what people are going through, well, and fair. if you can say that and you know change someone's life, then that makes. That completely validates your existence up until that point. You know, you have saved
1: another human life. Man, that's, that's been that's part. Weird. To be honest, that's been part and parcel of it. the The message from one lad. Um, I won't go through to the the full rigmarole of what happened to him because people will be able to probably know who he was. But lad was very ill. Um, kind of rejected the help that was offered because he thought he was gonna thought he was gonna die. Um, pushed family away, uh, found himself isolated, um, and was literally going to fucking, well, basically stared at the same tree for about three months, was going to fucking hang himself off the tree. And I think I was in pro-strength on a Saturday morning just talking about accountability and that no matter where we are and what we're doing and what what is kind of happening, we are accountable for where we're at. We've had some part to play in it. We've made choices that have led us there. It doesn't matter how fucking shit that feels, but what I wanted people to understand is if we found ourselves there, we can get ourselves the fuck back out because if you can go left or you go right, you're in a privileged position in life. You've got a choice. You know, I have been in countries where I've witnessed people with no choice and that was the fucking hardest thing I've ever had to experience because you know, whether they live or die is down to luck, not fucking choice. Um, and it was, yeah, that would always kind of fucking haunt me so I came back with that idea of the fact that regardless of how difficult it is to take, those choices that we've made, whether it be forethought or just by situation, that led us to a particular point, we are accountable for that, that is on us to a point and we can do something about it and for fuck knows what reason this lad was listening to my shit on a Saturday morning, but he was and he said it was the fucking kick in the ass he needed. And about two months later, once he started getting himself on his foot, he wrote me wrote me a message. And I don't mind admitting, that I fucking I, I was a bit taken aback, and I had a bit of a cry about it because it was like, well, what the fuck. Um, but it's no different in terms of you got lads, and I don't think he would mind saying that you identify and you pick apart what's happening to him, and Luke Forbrook was one. Yeah, I didn't know him. I'd, I'd encountered, and I would say encountered him once, because it was at London's Strongest Man one year, and this fucking behemoth of a bloke with a ruddy face who just needed to fucking sit down, sort of grunted at me as I got out the way. Uh, so if my first interaction with him for anything to go by, I'm, I'm fucking not the sort of bloke I'd want to have a fucking chat to, but I could see... I could see in some of the the language used, the posts that were coming up, that the boy was in just turmoil. And sent message, sent message, sent message, and just continued just to fucking chip away. Um, And this lad, I am so fucking proud of him because he worked like fuck. And it's so easy sometimes to bail or go down different pathways, but to take something head on that's that bad, that's that ingrained, that you've lived with for such a long period of time and it's helped shape not only your situation but your life and everyone around you, to make a wholesale fucking change for the betterment of yourself so therefore you can be a better person to greatly affect those around you is a fucking hard thing to do. But that boy is flourishing. And it's one of those ones now where I see him helping others and it's that knock-on effect again and I'm so fucking proud to know the bloke. You know, simple little things, mate. I'd just send the bloke a cap just to have something because you it, tick something off, he would do something and it would just, like, I'm going to send you a cap Um, and you you just get a message back like it was I'm not fucking worthy of it sort of thing and and then all of a sudden it's down to an appreciation. But if you look at where Luke is now, this is a guy that struggled with competition, the, the 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 understanding of place and where he was. And you know the the blokes on two fucking solid feet now, helping other people. And he, I'm just happy I get to see the lad smile. Yeah. But it's, it's certainly a good reaffirmation again that do you know what, for the sake of putting yourself out for a bit, it's not a bad thing to do. But anyone that's kind of been there. You end up with a fucking empathy radar that you can't switch off anymore. Cause you just you can't you fucking physically feel it. Yeah. Um, so if the one thing that I can continue to do on my little chats and talking shit as we've already figured out after an hour and bits passed and I talk the leg off a chair, is exactly that, is that I'll use those talks for the fucking one person that needs to hear it. So, like all shit, like I've always had it, you'll always have some fucker, you know, trying to drag you down. But as I say, good luck, to you. I'm Fucking bulletproof. Nothing you can fucking do. Love, because it's down to that connection. It's down to that one thing. Shit, I needed to hear and I'm glad I heard it. So I'll continue to be that fucking foghorn. Yeah. Like I, love, the- I love it. And, it, you know,
0: you're unforgivably you. And there is something so true and so real about that and, and people can see through it. And there's a reason why those people don't stick around because you can't keep up that facade forever. Yeah. Uh, and and you can see it, it, it in every single one of your stories, everything that you talk about. You, you know, you're not talking about shit you don't know about. You're talking about stuff that you have been through that has shaped you and has changed the way that you think about things. And you're giving people this free opportunity to not have to go through the shit that you've been through, but to learn the lessons that are associated with it, which I think is completely commendable. Because if we can stop people having to go through those hardships, then I, I think it's a smart thing. You know, We don't all have to eat shit, but if we're aware of what's going on and how we can shape things and how we can change things, I think would make the world a much, much better place.
1: That's why there's a big hashtag that goes along with things sometimes called just don't be a dick. You know, It's the life rule. Do unto others as you have uh, uh, done to you. Uh, it just boils down to one thing. Just don't be a dick. It's not Ten, hard. Take a fucking minute. Take a minute, don't be a dick, and then all of a sudden life's a better place.
0: Love it. Right. I, I want to I end on a, on a quick question and I ask it, ask it with everyone and I find it very, very interesting. So I want you to imagine... For a second that you are stepping into a time machine and you're going back in time and you're going back to uh, your younger self. So pre-teens, early Marcus, you get to sit there for a second with your younger self, look into your eyes and part one bit of knowledge, one ounce of wisdom, motif saying, quote, whatever it might be, a, a way to live your life. What do you tell your younger self to help you get through to
1: where you are today? Never compromise on what you want to be. You can fail at something you hate. Find something you love. Never compromise. Give everything. I love it.
0: Love it. Perfection. Absolutely amazing. Man, thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate this so much. There's no way that we're not not going to do this again because... Mate, you could talk the leg off of a chair, but I would s- happily sit here and listen to you for the next three and a half hours. I just
1: got to sleep at some point, that's all. <laughs> Cheers, man, <laughs> man uh, no, a- a- as, as I question. say, just, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to, you know, I, I still feel a little awkward at times because all I do is, you know, you just lift a little bit of tin and chat shit on the internet. And I don't understand that makes how that works, but um, especially when you're in the arena of people that have done legitimately amazing things. Uh, but I'll take it. I'll take it,
0: mate. You've you've earned absolutely everything, and there's so 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 much more. I honestly think this this is really just the start for you, man. With the passion that you have, listening to you talk, everything that you're about, everything that you're working towards, mate, I, There's not an ounce of doubt in my mind. You're you're there. You're there. Thank Cheers. you very much, man. I really appreciate it.
1: No worries.